0: because they feel like they're involved in the, the 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 process. The person has to feel like these decisions are being made with them, not for them. Welcome back to Training Room Talk powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we talk about pain, rehab, performance, and education. If you have questions about the nuance that we dive into, please reach out to us. We would love to talk to you about it. Apart from that we hope you guys enjoy today's episode and we hope everyone stays safe and is staying healthy all right guys welcome back to today's episode of the podcast um we are going to be i'm joined by troy cuck first of all
1: how's it going guys
0: and uh tyler boyd what's going on guys and we are going to talk a little bit about the Kind of behavior change model i know that like, you guys probably learned the trans theoretical model of behavior change in school that whole like pre-contemplation contemplation, contemplation mm-hmm. preparation then i think it's like action and maintenance you remember that like mm-hmm. whole yeah, thing yeah. um so we're going to talk a little bit about how we approach behavior change in patients in clients um, in particular from this, this conversation started yesterday when we were talking about, um, essentially, we were talking about sport hype man. So people who, you know, obviously go into the, the middle of a huddle and hype the whole team up in preparation for a game or for a play or fourth quarter or whatever. And um, that kind of led us down a, a path because we had a student who was there who had mentioned motivation as we sometimes are hype men for our patients in some capacity and how motivating them is an important part of our job and it made me think because we recognize that motivation is fleeting and i think of even my own training being in the gym i often feel like motivation isn't the reason that i'm there it's more of the fact that it's a habit now and that i'm you know disciplined and and continuing along that habit um, and I didn't know how much I felt like motivation was really a part of what I was doing with patients as much as encouraging habit formation and whatever else. So that's what we're going to talk about, essentially. Um, I know you guys mentioned earlier before we started uh, that you felt like certain patients you had uh, that you felt like you had to be a cheerleader or more motivational for them. Um, what were the what were the people you had in mind, or what were the considerations that you were thinking of?
2: Um, I mean, I think that, like, to start, um, I just went blank on my mind. <laughs> I completely just went blank. I had th- Troy. You want to
1: start this one off? Yeah. <laughs> Come back to me.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: we'll circle around. So, um, I think motivation comes into play when you've kind of gone through all of your steps and you're still not necessarily getting the the changes you want or the behaviors you want. And, you know, ultimately it's going to be up to the, the patient, the client, the individual to take on those behaviors. You know, let's talk about an easy one like smoking, for instance. So you educate them on the, the risks of smoking and all the benefits of stopping smoking, all that stuff. You know, they still haven't stopped. You, you try and motivate them to get it going and they still haven't stopped. That's ultimately their choice. Same thing with exercise, active lifestyles, all that kind of thing. Um, But I think especially in the earlier stages, motivation can be a helpful tool. Especially, you said now, you know, waking up at 4 a.m., going to the gym, you aren't motivated to do it. It's a habit. But you have gone through all of those stages of taking on new behaviors and you've gotten to the point where you are now at that maintenance stage. But how did you get to that stage? Maybe you needed some motivation in the beginning to start conceptualizing and to start contemplating taking on this new behavior. So maybe when you have a new client and you're going through all of the all of the education, all the pros, all the cons of taking on these new behaviors, of stopping old behaviors, there is a little bit of a motivational aspect with that, right? You don't just kind of want to print them out a sheet and send it on the way and be like, "Here, read into this. I think this you would benefit from this." It's just like, "Hey, you should get out there. You know, you should try these things. Like, see how it really, you know, can." your life around like oh you're changing your diet habits you're you're sleeping better you're eating better you're exercising like don't you just feel so much better like there is a a motivational aspect to that and even the way you deliver that information has a bit of a motivational component to it yeah
0: i mean i i definitely agree in terms of the the fact that depending on which stage you are in if you're in this pre-contemplation or contemplation you know, you're just thinking like, ah, it would be nice to to go to the gym, but you're not actually actively searching for a gym or preparing to get a membership. Um, Motivational things might be the kick or the push that gets you to that next stage. And then ultimately, like you said, once you're in the maintenance phase, at that point, it's more about having the discipline to continue with that habit. And obviously the discipline itself isn't enough to get you started, or else you know, if you had that, you would have already been in the maintenance phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, the motivation is certainly a piece of that starting, that starting phase, or that starting, you know, portion of the uh, behavior change model. But I guess I wonder how you think about which patients you feel like you need to motivate more, which patients you feel like that's more valuable. Uh, Is this something that you're doing consciously or is this something that you just kind of naturally do as a byproduct of recognizing where the person's at? All
2: right, I'm ready now. (laughs) You called me off guard guard before, Max. Um, No, but I think, honestly, we're just trying to create behavioral change in everybody that walks through the door, right? So anyone that kind of walks into physical therapy, right, they're there for a reason, right? They, they, They have pain. They don't know what's going on. So they come in in this unconscious incompetent phase or like i have back pain i don't know why right so then it kind of leads back to this like theoretical model that you're talking about um i kind of learned it a little different where it's like unconscious incompetent um conscious incompetent mm-hmm. unconscious competence or sorry. Conscious competence, then unconscious competence, right? So someone comes into physical therapy, right? They have back pain. They might be at this unconscious incompetence stage, right? Where they don't know what to do about it. Then we give them some exercise or give them some education. They're like, they're at this unconscious competence stage, right? So then they start working through the exercises that we're giving them. And then, okay, they get to this conscious um, or sorry conscious this this
0: model is very wordy
2: (laughs) (laughs) have you heard this model I have not actually it's the same it's the same kind of thing I actually heard it first through so I heard it first through the Rethinking the Big Patterns with Pat Davidson okay he kind of talks about it but I believe Mm, like that makes sense yeah but it's that same kind of model but ultimately right the end goal is moral of the story is someone comes to us they don't know why they have back pain and we take them through these stages and at the end of the day it comes back to like self-efficacy which we've talked about a lot about before It ultimately they walk out the door and they know what to do with their pain so hopefully they never have to come back here ever again yeah right but i think through the process we have to be somewhat of a cheerleader to an extent right in order to create some behavioral change and this is kind of what you're talking about with like do we need to be cheerleaders or do we just have to kind of just guide them through behavioral change, you know? And I think it's a little bit of both. Like we do have to sometimes sit back and just be like, do a little rah-rah for the patients.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I had this conversation this morning actually at the gym um, with my buddy Nick, who is also a PT, but he works in a skilled nursing facility. And he was he was like, dude, I think – for me, motivation is a, a big part of my job because the patients he's seeing actually need to be motivated to stand up, to walk down the hall, to do a few squats. Like these are things that they may be feeling very unmotivated and will not do because those things are, are very hard. Mm-hmm. And whereas we treat a lot of athletes or active individuals, if we tell them to do or ask them to do a goblet squat, They're simply just going to do it. You know, you don't have to motivate them and say, listen, you can really do this goblet squat. Like you can do more than you think you can. It's like, no, probably they're just going to to do the exercise. But in his model, like he actually has to get people somewhat fired up at least as much as they can be so that they will stand up and and move around. Um, So obviously it's going to depend on the population you're with. And you mentioned self-efficacy, and if people haven't listened to the podcast with uh, Dr. Brandon Fredhoff, that one's worth listening to where we talked about some of the self-efficacy papers that uh, have come out recently. And self-efficacy is an interesting construct because it essentially comes back to how much does the person believe that they're able to achieve the thing that they would want to achieve? So how much do you actually believe that you're able to get out of knee pain or to be able to get out of back pain? And those beliefs are not related to discipline necessarily. They may be related to someone feeling like they don't have the discipline to exercise every day. But um, yeah, I think that modifying those beliefs or encouraging changes in their beliefs about themselves and what they're capable of is in itself motivation. And if that can have a positive impact on self-efficacy, then probably it's going to have a positive impact, at least on your plan of care, uh, and that might be something that's more important early on. If you've, especially in the context that you've identified self-efficacy as a, you know, something that is is missing in the puzzle, and I think in one of these papers, the the self-efficacy question, they basically found that a a, a seven point likert scale for self-efficacy was a valid and reliable tool to assess people and it was literally just the question was how rate on a scale of zero to six how confident you feel in your you know in your likelihood of success with physical therapy and zero was not at all confident and six was very confident and that was a good indicator that was reliable of someone's self-efficacy so if you have that on your intake paperwork, or you ask that to the person directly, um, that might give you some insight on how much do I need to focus on genuinely motivating someone versus this person's highly motivated already, or they already think that this is gonna be very successful, I don't necessarily need to rile them up. But the other side that I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts on, you know, we see a lot of athletes, but in particular, I'm thinking, recreational or competitive like recreationally competitive crossfitters powerlifters barbell sports folks who aren't part of a team that have a season and we've talked about some of the challenges when you don't have a season and you're just kind of uh running on e for year round so you have some people who come in who are highly highly motivated do you ever feel like you
1: have to unmotivate them in a sense or yeah, um, uh, that's one thing I wanted to get into. I think motivation can go both ways, both like positive and um, not not negative, but more like a withdrawing from motivation, um, especially when you have these people that are training year-round. They're kind of overtraining, and they have these overuse, overtraining injuries. Now we're educating the opposite, kind of the the risks of overtraining and the potential risk of injuries and everything like that. So now we're kind of motivated to, you know, you you have in your program these off days. Let's change the name of that instead of an off day, which, you know, kind of crushes your morale. Let's make it an active recovery day where we just go through kind of like a movement flow, get a little heart rate up and, you know, reword it that way. So you're still kind of motivating them, but you're kind of motiv- motivating them to take it away because maybe in their off days, they just can't do an off day and they're going in and crushing another workout and their body just has no chance of rest. Um, I think you also have different areas where you can motivate. So maybe you're not motivating these individuals to, you know, get up and move more. Maybe you're just motivating on a different aspect of the training. So maybe you're motivating more for better recovery, better sleep, better... Um, Like self-maintenance whether it's even just like soft tissue work or something like that just like general feel-good to help with that recovery so that it can help with their performance.
0: Yeah, and I think that you can definitely try to redirect the focus in your education for someone with you know a a shoulder rotator cuff tendinopathy or something that's irritated in their shoulder and you're educating them on The balance in training load recovery and how much capacity their shoulder has to handle that stuff Um, and in doing so you're obviously telling the person a lot of times I need you to do less for a little while and then we can slowly start doing more over time but in that period of doing less the person may feel like you're taking things away from them and like you said it may be motivating for them to give things back in terms of here are some things that you can actively do to make yourself better to continue to work towards you know improving your fitness or improving your readiness for training when you do get back so if now you've it's this, in powerlifting it's super common when someone has anterior knee pain they have a patellar tendinopathy The idea is like, all right, I'm gonna crush a bench cycle. Like I'm gonna run a 12 week program for my bench. While I do that, I'm gonna address my hips that have always felt tight. They've always, my ankles always feel you know a little wonky and I'm going to work on improving my hip mobility, improving my ankle mobility, and maybe even gaining some quad size or some hamstring size and not worry about strength as much. And then I'm gonna orient my motivation towards a bench cycle. And sometimes people don't know, especially in a CrossFit or a more varied form of fitness, they don't know how to reorient themselves. And they're kind of scrambling for what can I still do with this motivation that's pouring out of me. And if I don't put it somewhere, I'm going to feel pretty depressed because it's going to feel like I'm just limited. I can't do what I want to do. So yeah, I agree 100%. Sometimes it's not about unmotivating them necessarily, but just trying to redirect their motivation, give them things to, in a sense, entertain themselves, <laughs> you yeah. know, until they, until they, their body kind of does what it needs to do. Um, but everyone always has things that they can work on, you know, like it's not the end of a world, end of the world. If a powerlifter starts doing yoga twice a week and he'll probably, he or she will probably find that it crushes them, and they're probably gonna realize that they actually do get some satisfaction out of different forms of training that they didn't anticipate that they would, but because now they are willing to try it given that they're limited in other things, then they make that discovery.
2: So what do we think we do on the other end of the spectrum? Since we kinda talked about the highly motivated individual, what about the person that like, who basically comes to PT then you don't see him for a week or you see him at the end of the week you're like yeah oh, did you do your home exercise program did you do any of that stuff that we talked about and they're like nah just work well, I got caught up in work because I know like for myself I've kind of dealt with this a lot I deal with people that um they get very caught up in work Right, and trying to pull them away from the computer and to to, to do something—it's it's very hard. It's like oh, I sat down for four hours. Next thing I know, like I just got sucked in. You know, I feel like that's the harder people to get to, besides the people that are highly motivated.
0: Yes, and and this is an important. This is obviously an important point, um, but Tyler, from your perspective, do we uh, do we as PTs do we prescribe exercise? Yes. I mean, we give people
2: exercises to do at home. Do we prescribe exercises?
1: (laughs) I give people tools to accomplish their goals.
0: Okay. Uh, (laughs) A little better. (laughs) Um, it's It's this idea that we give you what you need, and you need to do it to improve. And a lot of times it's the provider to lowly patient who's uneducated perspective that I think puts people in a position to have patients who are not adhering and who are uh, inconsistent with a lot of the home exercise things. Because the reality is we don't prescribe exercise or we shouldn't prescribe exercise. We should guide the patient in building an exercise program for themselves which addresses their goals and fits in some capacity within their lifestyle. When we look at athletes, in those instances, exercises become much more prescriptive. Yeah. It's much more, hey, when you're doing your your J-band routine, I want you to do these three things. Okay, I'll do them, done. Uh, when we look at the people who are, are lower on the motivational scale or who are further away from the point of active or maintenance, in terms of behavior change, at that point it's not as much our ability to just say, do these three home exercises twice a day, uh, three sets of ten each one, and next time you come in, I'm going to ask you to show me how you do them to make sure you're being honest. Like, that is, sh- that is... Fear tactics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that you, you can't expect that that's going to go well. And then you're going to turn around and complain that none of the exercises that you're giving your patients are being done. it's like yeah because you didn't ask them what they wanted to do did you ask them can you do these exercises every day did you ask them how how confident do you feel in executing this program a lot of a lot of the general you know a lot of folks aren't going to be asking their patients that and i ask that almost every time i say this is what i think that this is what i think would be helpful Um, does this feel like something that you're confident that you can do. And if the person is like, "Eh, yeah, I think so. I'm like, okay, let's take a step back. How much do you feel like of your time at home? Could you dedicate and how many days a week could you dedicate towards doing something to work you towards your goals? And if the person says, well, I'm an ER nurse, I work three 12 hour shifts, so I definitely can't do anything on those days um and i can probably do things on the other four days and maybe you know five to ten minutes okay now i'm going to create something that you can do within those constraints and then i'm going to ask you this is you know we made this plan based on how you felt you could contribute is this now something that you feel that you're able to commit yourself to and if the person says yeah i think that that's really reasonable guess what, they're probably gonna come back and they're going to have done the things that you recommended because they feel like they're involved in the, 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 the process. The person has to feel like these decisions are being made with them, not for them. And I think that that's where a lot of people run into problems with the, the model of PT in general is that you're prescribing, you're giving, you're educating, but you're not a team with the person you know you you have to be on their side not on the other side speaking to them and so that's the biggest thing that i always think of when i'm thinking of those lower motivation like people who i don't anticipate i'm going to get a lot from i need them to tell me what i'm going to get from them yeah. and then have them agree that we are going to commit to what they felt like they could do
1: and going off that especially your example like people that get caught up in work and their life kind of consumes them and they're unable to set aside five, 10 minutes for exercises, um, you know, making them part of the process after you go through a whole session, just be like, out of everything we did today, pick two of your favorites that you felt like you benefited the most from. So now they're probably more likely to do those than the two that you thought would be best for them that you prescribed them as exercises. Maybe they're not the best for that person. So once you find the best exercises, then you can even give them tools to help them include it into their Daily life. So Max talked about like routine, uh, like what days it would work best. Maybe you can find specific times. So maybe, say for instance, you want somebody to hit nerve glides or something. You can, you know, every stoplight. I want you to hit these ulnar nerve glides. Or um, when you're sitting down, when you you finish Are up. You dinner, suggesting people take their hand off the steering wheel? Right. While rather, operating like, a motor vehicle. Everybody's already <laughs> hanging out at noon yeah. with one hand. Um, in the passenger seat. There you go. If you know, when you finish up dinner and you're already sitting in the chair, hit your sciatic nerve glides, anything like that. So you can just kind of incorporate it into their routine or it's like, what do you do at the end of the day when you wind down? Oh, I usually lay down on the couch and watch, you know, my show, some Rust Valley or something. So when they're already laying down on the sofa, maybe you can pick two easy exercises for them to do when they're already kind of down on the ground or down on the sofa to work it into their lives a little bit better so that they're already away from work in their life. And now you just incorporate the exercises into those times.
0: Yeah, and, and just like, you know, even the the idea of, like, hey, I'm giving you this TheraBand so you can do, you know, some lateral raises to start to load your, your rotator cuff. Uh, tie, just, how do you feel about like tying this band around a place that you go to regularly? Okay, yeah, like, what do you mean? well, you know, what's your morning routine? Oh, I get up, I I take a shower, I go into the kitchen, I make my lunch. It's like, okay, do you feel like after you make your lunch, if the band was in the kitchen tied to the fridge handle or tied to a cabinet handle or a doorknob in that area, could you just go ahead and do your three sets while you're doing your kind of morning routine? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. And now you're just bringing the equipment in their field of view. It's right there in front of them. They're probably more likely to then you know seamlessly pick it up rather than them keeping it in the drawer over you know downstairs in the basement uh, entertainment center and then they have to go all the way down there and and so some of those little things can just help reduce the barriers that someone faces in terms of implementing certain things but yeah there's something else i was gonna say but i forgot
2: yeah no i think that like just from listening to all this it's just like the key word out of this is just adherence right like what is this individual going to adhere to and that's probably why a lot of these cookie cutter like pt exercises don't work sometimes like oh i got shoulder pain okay go okay hit your no monies hit your er walkouts hit your ex- whatever banded external rotations like everyone gets the same kind of thing right where maybe some people aren't so receptive to that and won't be able to do that um because they don't like using bands or whatever that is. So maybe we can find other ways that they're going to adhere to. So that's why, like I said, these cookie cutter programs probably don't work as well as maybe just like talking to the person and having them, like you guys are saying, having them kind of decide what they will do, have them kind of put the program together out of everything we did today. What are your favorite two or three exercises? Yeah.
0: And that's a question that I, I love to ask people because we know you know, you may think that, cat camel is important to do because they they said they have lumbar stiffness and they said that you know when you had them in that position they had trouble with it and you're like oh this would probably be a great thing for you to continue to do but i love asking people of everything we did today which thing or or which of these did you feel like made the biggest impact or that was the most valuable or you enjoyed the most and then if they give you maybe they're gonna be like I don't know I thought you're supposed to tell me what works and it's like okay I'm just sometimes people have some intuition about that stuff um, or certain things feel good and and I didn't get a chance to ask you or you didn't communicate that so I just wanted to ask but a lot of times I'd say most times people will say oh no it's these two or or you know I really think it's this the strengthening work it's not the hands-on or it's not the the stretching I really think it's the strengthening work and then yeah you're gonna be able to tailor your protocol or your, um, you know, program to what they feel like is the most helpful. And at the end of the day, we know that a lot of the structural stuff, a lot of the, a lot of the things that we think matter don't matter as much as adherence on a consistent basis with appropriate (laughs) habit formation, people just moving more, being active, and loading appropriately. And you can do that with tons of different exercises. It doesn't have to be one or two. That was just
2: my, f- my final thought on this is like, yeah, sometimes maybe the exercise doesn't even matter as much of li- as just like you just said, getting people to just move more, like going back to that person that works, like just gets sucked in at the desk. It's like, okay, like maybe the exercise doesn't even matter. Just get up and f- let's just find something you'd like to do. You know, yeah. like you got a rotator cuff injury. Okay, maybe we don't have to directly like do something with this shoulder, but we know that movement in general
1: just helps, right? I think it goes down to the self-efficacy too, you know, how which ones do you find beneficial? Which one do you feel like will help you the most? Yeah,
0: 100%. And like that's where I think something like a walking program is going to be more common, you know, especially should be common in more general orthopedic settings someone with an acute low back strain like put them on a walking program where the first week they walk three times 10 minutes the second week they walk four times 10 minutes the third week they walk three times 20 minutes the fourth week they walk four times whatever the progression is something like that may not be directly influencing the biomechanical factors that you think contribute but you're getting them moving and we know that that matters and that's you know that covers several bases just in and of itself so uh, a lot of times we have to take a step back from our all the smarts that we think we have to figure out the problem and and have a great solution based on our our beautiful brains but at the end of the day it might just be more simple than that and we might just need to focus more on the behavior
1: change rather than the clinical decision-making or the the fancy exercise Yeah, so I think it comes down to we're, as PTs, we're usually not lacking in motivation or maybe these clients don't need more motivation. Maybe it's they need more education or they need the right tools to accomplish what they're trying to get.
0: Yeah, and I think something like that basic self-efficacy scale can give you some insight on where the person is on the motivation versus purely just habit or or. Um, discipline like behavior change stuff how much do i need to spend on each um, that may be a, a useful tool for people to start using but anyways we shall call it there for today uh, hopefully people gain some insight on this if you guys have any feedback or any thoughts feel free to get in touch with us um, you can find me at maxlepage.dpt on instagram
1: and troy at i believe it is troy dot. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) cuck.dpt tylerboy.spt
0: alright and we will talk to you guys the next one peace thank you for listening to the training room talk podcast we hope today's discussion was helpful in illuminating some of the complexities behind pain and rehab if you don't know where to go from here please reach out to us with questions we have mentorship options for clinicians and students and programming options for you to elevate your own fitness we look forward to speaking with you and again hoped you enjoyed today's discussion.